0: Well, good morning to you, Rock Hill. I'm so glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 is where we'll be. It's the last chapter in the gospel of Matthew. We'll be at the last few verses of that text. We just completed a little mini series on Rays or on the resurrection. We will, at the end of this four-part series called All In, it's a little vision conversation we're going to be having together, At the beginning of summer, we'll do a series called Summer in the Psalms. We'll do Psalms 1 through 10, not all on one Sunday, but over 10 weeks. And then we will jump back into the fall with picking back up in the Gospel of Matthew on a series called Just Like Jesus. And so we'll complete out the Sermon on the Mount together. Now, you probably won't remember any of that, and that's okay. So if it changes, you won't know, all right? But we're so glad you're here today. I don't know if you paid attention, but there was this little basketball game a few weeks ago called the NCAA Men's Tournament. There also was the women's, but I'm just highlighting the men's this morning. And I'm highlighting it because it was the battle between the Baptists and the Catholics. It was Baylor University versus Gonzaga. So of course, you could tell who I was going to be pulling for, but we also lived in Waco for a season, and so we were preferential towards the green and the gold, the gold. So we were cheering for them, but also because we, we know some of the people that were involved with the team and we wanted them to succeed. But every team that enters into a championship game shares a vision, shares the same mission. All the players on both sides had a commitment. Their commitment was to win the game. Now, of course, and I'll, we'll put a picture up just so you can kind of see that it did happen. It's real life. This isn't fake news, but Baylor won uh, the national championship and so they sicked them and all that stuff. And Anyway, uh, so the reality is though that there's no way a team can complete that kind of a mission without being on the same page. Invariably, you know what it's like to be part of a group that is not on the same page and not having or sharing the same mission. You see this in marriages where maybe there's a husband and a wife and they're just having competing missions, competing visions for their family. And all it does is create division among them. You can imagine being in a group project, maybe at school. I've been on group projects before and I wouldn't say that I was the strongest wheel, but at least I was a wheel. I've been in group projects where three of the five are really not interested in actually accomplishing the task. And so a few of them actually end up doing the entire project. You've been in business opportunities where maybe your partner isn't as invested into the mission that you have to see your business grow. But what if I told you that the church is one of the more challenging groups to get together on the same mission even though we have a command in scripture by Jesus Christ himself on what that mission is supposed to be. You say, well, how can that be? Well, that can be because you can think Jesus is in the garden in John chapter 17. It's his high priestly prayer. And in that prayer, Jesus prays specifically that the church would be unified. Now, I don't know about you, but if I think a task is easy, I, I won't really prepare for it. Like if there's a test that I'm about to take, but I, I don't have to worry. I mean, I just, I'm just not going to study. I'm just going to wing it, right? But if there's something difficult, I take time and I study and I think about it and I vision and I uh, visualize the task. and all. The, now, it's the same way I think with prayer. If something's easy, often I'll find myself not praying at all about it. But if I find that the task is big and the challenge is large, I find myself praying all the more and more fervently. It's just the way we think. So just think about this connection here for a second. If Jesus spends time before his death to pray for the church to be unified, do you not think that it was going to be a challenge? Jesus says in Matthew 16 that he says, on this rock I'm going to, build my church. That gives me great confidence today because I'm not having to build the church. You're not having to build the church. Jesus builds the church. But if the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but he cannot destroy the church, what will he do? He will do all that he can to divide the church. So you often see churches gather together, but while they're all in the same room, there's division among us. What if I told you that unifying a church is a difficult task because of the spiritual labor that's involved. So today we will begin our all-in series. A call out to us to say, are we, were we gonna be all-in on the mission that Jesus has given us? And it's not up for debate. It's not up for conjecture. It's not up for dialogue. It's up for being devoted to the mission. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 28. We're gonna start in verse 18. A tradition we like to do if you're meeting us online, you can type word, but if you're in this room and you're there, will you say word? Jesus came near, so he's ascended, or he's, he's resurrected, and he says to them, watch well, what he says, all authority He doesn't say some of the authority. He doesn't say a partial of the authority. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's kind of all encompassing, don't you think? Verse 19, this is where the one command comes in in just a second. He says, go therefore and do what? Make disciples. That's the command. If if you underline in your Bible, this would be a great time to circle those two words. That's the command that we have. Make disciples of what? of some places, no, all nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them, teaching them what? To observe some of the things. No, 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 everything I have commanded you and lo, I am, remember I'm with you always to the end of the age. Our aim this morning is to remember our mission and the one who gave the authority of it. To remember our mission and the authority of the one who gave it. As a church, I'm calling us to be all in to remember the mission that Rock Hill has. Nobody could have predicted the last year and a half. If they did predict it, they kept quiet about it before they predicted it. Nobody knew that, the, that we would be, instructed to stay home. I mean, I think a lot of us love staycations, but not that kind of extended staycation. None of us knew that we wouldn't be able to even go talk to our neighbors across the street out of fear of spreading this invisible disease. Many of us are even more fearful now when they start allowing us to sit at tables next to one another in a restaurant. We begin to think, shouldn't you back up a little bit, or can you give me some personal space and we wear these invisible bubbles around us afraid of even touching somebody or speaking to somebody and I'm not criticizing that I'm just saying who would have predicted that was what was going to happen in 2020 as one of my daughters as I was reading the expiration date on one of the items in our fridge it was still good she said 2020 was hard wasn't it Who would have thought an 11-year-old would be able to pick that up? Nobody could have predicted it, and it's why post-Easter now, now that we've come through Easter after a year ago, is to say, let's remember why we exist. Let's remember why we cooperate with, uh, even the Southern Baptist Convention. Here's why we do these things, because there's a message. He gives us the message. Jesus has told us in Matthew 18 through 20, what our mission is. He says the same similar thing in Mark sixteen fifteen. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the nations or to all creation. He's saying our task is to go and go out into the world and proclaim good news, to declare the gospel. And if you're here today and then maybe this is your first or second time and you're wondering what kind of church is Rock Hill? Rock Hill is a great commission church. We're a church that's committed to one of the last things Jesus says to his disciples. You know, you know, if you're on your deathbed, you're gonna pay attention to what that dying person's last words are. Because sometimes that's the most important thing to them. They're saying, hey, this is some my last words of wisdom. These are some of the last words of Jesus while he was here on earth before his ascension. And he says, hey, I want you to take the good news of the gospel and take it to all the world. We are a great commission church, meaning that we're a church that wants to understand. We're a church that wants to grasp. We're a church that wants to have the correct understanding of the mission that he has sent us on. So we've tried to convey this with a statement because we try to help translate that for us easily. So our statement is, our mission statement is to help people who are far from God to become followers of Jesus. And aren't you glad that that's already at work from the work that takes place at Iron House that is often filled with challenges and moments where you want to scratch your head to ministries where we have some guests with us each and every week with And Aren't you grateful that Cinecore gets to join us week in and week out? Aren't you glad for that? Ministries like C2R where people who are needing to recover from from struggles that they've had most of their life. We don't want to say to people, well, go get some help. We wanna help them along the way to help them to become the followers of Jesus God, we believe as God has called them to be. Aren't you grateful for ministries to families where we can see babies filling up the room? If you ever say, I don't know what to pray for Rock Hill, pray that the nursery is overwhelmed with babies. (laughs) That'd be a great prayer, yeah, that's good. I could go on and on with student ministries and music ministries and discipleship and groups. I I, I won't list all those things today. We'll deal with some of that down the road. But for Rock Hill to be the church that I believe God has called us to be, we have to be gathered around this singular mission because the temptation is in the West, in the Western church, is to make church about my preferences from the songs we sing or the style of the preaching. And yes, we hear about that every, almost every week. To the way things look or the way things are done. But church isn't about figuring out your particular preferences and them being met. It's about what can I contribute to the life and the mission that God has called us as a church to be on. And John MacArthur said it this way about this passage. He said, if if a Christian understands all the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, but fails to understand the closing passage, he has missed the entire point of the book. If he understands all of the New Testament, of the, of the gospel of Matthew, but he, for, he does not understand that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commanded the disciples to do. He does not truly understand the rest of the book of Matthew. So it's important for us then to ask the question, who gave this commission? Who, who gave this commission, this command to us? And when you're in church and maybe you're in doubt, you vote Jesus, so who gave this commission? Jesus gave this commission. When it comes to the Great Commission, we have to understand that this was not made up by man. You may hear people say, well, religion is evil and it's created all the problems in the world. I would disagree with that. Pure religion is caring for the widow and the orphan. So that's the religion we should be talking about. But if Jesus gives us this command, We then understand that the world is broken. The reason why there's problems in the world is because the world is broken and the systems sometimes often are broken too because you have sinners creating systems that often create harm to other sinners. This is what happens in the world. It's why we need a great hope and redeemer in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, hey, as you go, I'm commissioning you. I'm sending you. I have the authority. I have the task for you to do. This is what we are to do. It is imperative then that we understand the commission in order to fulfill the commission. It's hard to complete a task if you don't exactly know what the task is. but often we go throughout our day and think little about the mission. So my hope for Rock Hill is that we would understand a very simple principle is that Jesus has authority. Why why should I fear what is happening all around us when Jesus holds all the authority? We understand authority. Some of us have understood it in hard ways. We understand authority because we face authority every day. Uh, An officer of the law has authority. He has the authority to write you a ticket when you've gone over the speed limit. As I was having a conversation with one of my daughters, this was from years ago, but we were reflecting on it. Have you ever been pulled over by a police officer, Daddy? Yes, I have. Why? I was exceeding the limit of the speed. Well, did he write you a ticket? I said, thankfully he did not. He's like, well, he should have. I said, when you have this, we'll have this reverse conversation. I'm sure one day, and I'll bring this point up, all right. We understand authority. The bank has the authority to grant you a loan or to deny you a loan. They have that authority. The word authority just simply means that they have the right and power, they have the privilege that Jesus has the dominion to do something. And and throughout the New Testament, the word authority is used 102 times specifically about Jesus. And it's about his rule, his reign. Here it is, his supremacy over all things. And here Jesus is saying all authority. He doesn't say a partial amount. He doesn't say 10%. He doesn't say 20%. He says 100% of the authority is, is mine. I have the absolute right to do whatever I choose. People often struggle with the nature of God and who God is and why is, why is God displayed the way he is throughout the scriptures, but I need you to know that God has all the authority and he could just wipe all of us out, but instead of God wiping us all out, he, he sent Jesus on a mission trip to redeem mankind. What kind of great love is this, that the creator of the universe would come down to us and redeem us? So why does all this matter? It's hard for us to go after the mission if we don't understand who has the authority of the mission. Jesus has the authority. And what possible right could I have to tell anybody about Jesus? I only have that right because the one who has all the authority has entrusted us with this good news. Therefore, therefore we ought to be diligent in declaring that good news to all those we come in contact with. Jesus has that kind of authority. So what did he say? He gave us a command, he says to make disciples, He says, make disciples. It's it's found there in verse 19. Some have said, no, go is the command. Go is not the command. It's the assumption onto the text that as you're going, that's the way it's literally translated, as you're going, make disciples. I don't think the disciples debated about what that word meant. They knew what a disciple was. Jesus had spent time with them for three years, and he then says, hey, just like I have done, so now you go and do just like I have done, now you go and do. So what is a disciple? A disciple is anyone who by faith follows Jesus. It's a very simplified way of saying this. A a disciple of Jesus is anybody who by faith follows Jesus. And if you read the book of Acts today, you'll see how they exemplified this. They walked with people, they evangelized, but then they also walked with people, they, they planted churches, they discipled, they did these things. So Jesus commands them to do this very thing. But if I was to say, well, then what is a follower of Jesus? Who, who's a follower of Jesus? I would, I would simplify it this way, I would say, a follower of Jesus is anybody who worships, is a worshiper of Jesus, a servant to Jesus and a witness for Jesus. So how do I know if I'm a follower of Jesus? Are you a worshiper of the one true God who has been revealed in Jesus Christ? If you do not worship Jesus, you are not a disciple of Jesus. You can't claim to follow Jesus if you don't worship him. You say, how do I know if I worship him? Just let us watch your life and we'll be able to help you determine that. Do you serve? I mean, again, this this is bucking at the trend. I mean, I know sometimes we get in this moment of I, I, I want, I want a uh, you know a big tent and a large church, but the reality is, if you're not finding ways in which you are servant to Jesus, you're surrendering your life to Him. Can you really claim to be a follower of Jesus if there's nothing within you that desires to serve Jesus, to serve His people, to do unto others as has been done to you, to pray for your enemy, and forgive those who have hurt you? Are you a witness for Jesus? You say, well, I'm just getting nervous. what if I say the wrong thing? Listen, all of you are witnesses of something. Have you ever eaten at a really good restaurant? You tell everybody about it. Have you had fill in the blank? mean, it's so good. You, You should go. You've just evangelized without any kickback that restaurant. Have you, have you gotten these, there's a big sale at this department store, have you gone there? You've just witnessed for that organization. We are witnesses, we are declaring something. So a follower of Jesus is somebody who's gonna worship Jesus. A follower of Jesus is gonna be somebody who serves Jesus. A follower of Jesus is gonna be somebody who witnesses for Jesus. And that doesn't mean you won't have questions. Did you know that even in verse 17, and some of you are gonna read it right now, it says that the disciples are looking at Jesus, they are worshiping Jesus, and then some of them doubted, yet they stood there and received this great commission that they were given, and we read again in Acts that they go and do it. So Jesus isn't afraid of your doubts, Jesus isn't afraid of your questions, but you've got to know that he is the answer to many of your questions. So what did he say? He said, go and make disciples. A disciple is born the moment that they become a follower of Jesus. And when you're a Christian, you are a disciple of Jesus. And we're watching, hey, what's the outworking of this in your life? Are you growing? Are you growing as a worshiper? Are you growing as a servant to him? Are you growing as a witness for him? Every Christian is a disciple. And you may say, but I don't know if I'm a good disciple. Listen, can I just tell you, can I just tell you that we have examples throughout the Bible of guys who you would say, or girls, you say, man, they are the model disciple, yet they really messed up. I mean, just one, for example, I know he's not here to defend himself, but Peter, I mean, most of the time when we read in the Bible about Peter, he's saying something that he should not have said. It's like, you should have just internalized that before you said it. See, Peter spoke before he ever thought about what he was actually saying. I mean, this is Peter. Peter's the guy who denies Jesus three times at the lowest of low moments where Jesus is on the cross and people go, hey, you are with Jesus. I don't know who you're talking about. And the New Testament language gives such emphasis to this that it's almost as if he curses Christ in his relationship. Yet Peter is forgiven by the Lord and he rises up and becomes the great leader in the book of Acts. So you say, well, I'm I'm, I'm afraid of being a bad disciple of Jesus. We have plenty of examples of bad disciples in the New Testament, yet God still used them. So what did he tell us to do? Two things, we've gotta baptize them and we've gotta teach them. Baptism does not save you. Baptism won't cause you to never make any more mistakes. Some of you in this room were baptized when you were young and that's not a bad thing, that's a great thing. I praise God and pray even for, I've prayed for our children and they've responded, but I pray for other children in our church that the earliest possible opportunity for them to respond to the good news of the gospel, I want them to respond, to spare them from the hurts and pains that so many of us have walked through if you come to faith later in life. But either way, our prayer is that people come to faith in Jesus Christ. The word baptized literally means to be immersed or to be dipped. So Rock Hill Dipping Church. I've had people ask before, will Rock Hill ever no no longer become a Baptist church? Can I just, as long as I am allowed to be pastor here, we, we will continue to be a Baptist church. Why? Because it identifies we believe in baptism by way of immersion as a testimony of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Notice I didn't say that it saves you. I just said it's a testimony. It's a a witness to the rest of the world. We teach. Reaching and teaching are essential aspects of the Great Commission. We teach. I don't want just teaching for information. I want teaching for transformation. I don't want highly educated, disobedient disciples of Jesus Christ. I want transformed disciples who live their whole lives to worshiping Jesus, serving Jesus, and witnessing for Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't think about hard questions and doctrine and debate these things. Those things are healthy and good, but I am wanting you to say, we can debate all those things, but if we've not shared our faith, what good is all those debates? This command is to every believer. It's not just to a few exclusive, it's to all the disciples. Therefore, I think it's not just to those disciples at that time, but I think it's for all the church for all time. We're to go everywhere, all the nations, accomplishing these two things, baptizing and teaching. It's why the next few weeks we'll talk about our purpose, why we exist as a church, and then we'll talk about our ministries because sometimes it gets hairy when you say, how are we gonna do all this? We, the church then wants to create a bunch of programs for you to be part of. And they just want you to be really active in all the programming. And I, I think less about programs as a church. And I wanna think more about a pathway of discipleship for you. I wanna think about how we can help you grow in your faith in Jesus Christ And it's not just because you've checked a box that you've completed a particular program, it's just at the pathway because evangelism does not take place outside of discipleship, but is a fruit of discipleship. As you fall more in love with Jesus and studying about Jesus and learning about Jesus, you want everybody to know about Jesus. Bible reading doesn't take place outside of discipleship, it's a fruit of discipleship. Prayer isn't, happening outside of discipleship, it's a fruit of discipleship. We wanna make disciples and one of the strategic ways we do that is through our groups. So what do we, want to, what do we aim to do? We aim to make disciples. We wanna help people who are far from God to become followers of Jesus. That's how we've tried to, try to, to say this statement. So how do we do it? We don't do it through programs, we're gonna do it through pathways. But today specifically, as we launch into this all in series, you have gotta be able to start making the, the, the question and answer the question, am I gonna be the disciple God has called me to be? There are lots of things to be committed to in this day and time. And the triage from this last year was massive. I saw, and you saw, and we saw, the whole world saw, many followers of Jesus become more enthralled and passionate about their political findings than they were about the gospel of Jesus Christ going to all the nations. We, we saw in this last year fear take over disciples of Jesus. I think we should be careful with the way things were spreading. We didn't know what we were dealing with, but I'm here to tell you today. There's something much more dangerous and much more eternal. And we shall not as a church, be overcome by the enemy, we must stand firm on what God has instructed us to do. And if there's ever a time for the church to rise and be who she has been called to be, it's now to be all in. Knowing the dangers, knowing the risks. So the commitment today is for this. number one, I'm asking you to commit to be the disciple of Jesus. Be a disciple of Jesus. You can't, you can't lead others to be a disciple of Jesus if you're not a disciple of Jesus. So I'm not asking you to walk an aisle and get rebaptized and recommit your life to Christ. I'm not asking that. I'm asking you to say, am I the disciple that God has called me to be? Am I worshiping him? Am I following him? Am I worshiping him? Am I serving him? And am I witnessing for him? I want you to commit to building disciples of Jesus. Be one and build one. We declare the gospel, but we also wanna disciple believers. So are you part of a group where you're being built up as a disciple? And all that outworks itself to where you want others to be part of it. You wanna bring others to faith to become disciples of Jesus. The commitments today are simply, I, I've not been the disciple of Jesus. Maybe that's been you. I wanna be a disciple. I've not been where I need to be. I wanna be the disciple. Maybe for you is to, man, I want to I build disciples of Jesus. I want be part of that. And then I want to bring others. I know for me, if things are easy, I don't prepare. Spiritually, as I've already said, if I, if I think it's going to be easy, I don't pray about it. It's just a confession. But when I know the stakes are high, I commit to prayer. And so maybe today for you, you commit. I wanna be a disciple that God has called me to be. I wanna build up others as a disciple and I wanna bring others. A wrong decision on this side of heaven is a loss for eternity. And there are people There are people today who are denying that Jesus is real and that shouldn't make us angry, it should make us sad. So today, will you commit to be the disciple? Will you commit to bring others or to build others and to bring others? Will you commit to that today? Will you pray, Father, we come now. Lord, we know that there are some in this room that they are not disciples of Jesus. You're calling them now to respond to you. Father, we believe that there's some in this room that they have been struggling as a disciple of Jesus. They've been wandering. It's been a hard year. Fear has encapsulated them. Many of those that have that fear, they're showing up and that's, we're so grateful. But Lord, we're asking that we would be part and commit to being the disciples you've called us to be. There are some here, Lord, that are ready to, build up others. And while they're struggling with some things too, Father, they they have the ability to help others grow in their faith and walk in Jesus Christ. But Father, we also know there are many that don't know you. And we're asking, Lord, that you would help us to be attentive to the needs of those around us. Father, we stand firm that you're going to build your church. May Rock Hill be unified in the mission you have given us to make disciples. We ask this in Christ's name.